So John chapter 8, on Sunday mornings together, we are uh, looking at the uh, the various statements in the book of John, um, where Jesus identifies himself metaphorically, known as the I Am statements. Um, so we are, as a, as a church, we are celebrating Lent in various ways. We have these little printouts, if you want to grab one, or all, all the exits and or the entrances, or both. And um, it kind of is just a guide as far as what the, the dates of things that are coming up, and various ways that we're practicing it. We're reading through the Gospel of John, there's a reading guide on the back. Um, you can take one of those. Um, and uh, as we kind of go through the book of John, we'll start to pick up on on several themes. And today we tie into a a really prominent one that John uses a good bit. Really the whole Bible uses a good bit. And so let me start with just a little bit of background information before we get to really what's, we're going to just look at two two verses instead of like uh, entire passages. But here's some background. So um, we're in John 8, but in John chapter 7, it talks about Jesus and his disciples going to the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, if you don't know what the Feast of Tabernacles is, you're not alone. I had to read up on it a good bit this week. Um, and the Feast of Tabernacles was was a, a big one. Now, one of the things about our like our Jewish brethren is that they uh, they loved they love remembrance. Like God built remembrance into their story and into their rhythms um, because He knew. I mean, He's a pretty smart guy, right? He knew that we would get distracted and forget important things, and so He built remembrance into all their rhythms. And He did a lot of times in in the form of different sacrifices, but also different festivals. And this one was a, a big party. Like, not like a Mardi Gras party, party like a holy celebration party. And it was a, a week long, and the point, the general idea behind the Feast of Tabernacles was to remember uh, all the ways that God took care of their forefathers um, in leading them from Egypt into uh, the promised land. Does that mean? Did I, did I go away? I think my battery's dead. Oh well, see y'all next week. <laughs> um, I don't know what to do. Do you have batteries? Oh, there it is. Anyway, Feast of Tabernacles... Uh, they're remembering all the things, all the ways that God took care of their forefathers as they journeyed from Egypt where they were enslaved. Um, and when he freed them, he led them to the promised land. But that uh, involved a very long journey through the desert. And God was always taking care of his children because that's, that's his thing. And they have this celebration to commemorate that and to remember everything that God had done. Um, and so they did a couple of things in order to like reenact this. They would, uh, they would make these temporary shelters uh, that would sometimes, uh, sometimes this festival is called the Festival of Booths, like Booth. Um, where they would make these little tent kind of things, and they would they would go and they would cut the wood down, and they would get the big palm leaves and stuff, and they would make these temporary shelters, and because that's what their like forefathers did whenever they were resting in the desert, they would make these these like tents basically, like a homemade tent, 
and that's what they would live in whenever they weren't on the move. And so what they would do is they would, would, everyone would go to Jerusalem, they would cut down all these trees and they would make all these tents and they would live in these tents for the entire like length of the festival. And uh, that was a part of them remembering and them celebrating. Uh, and it's a way for them to teach the children about what God had done for their forefathers. And so uh, everyone travels there. And instead of getting hotel rooms or whatever, however that worked, they would make tents all throughout Jerusalem. And they would all stay in these tents um, or tabernacles uh, for, for the whole week. And so that's one thing they would do. Another thing, they would go to the Pool of Siloam and they would... They would get uh, water and they would bring it into the temple as a way of recognizing that where how God provided water out of rocks and various you know things how God uh, watered the flocks and He watered the people and stuff back then and so they would do that and then um, but like one of the more iconic things was that they when you look at the Temple Mount if you ever look at like drawings and stuff of that um, there are four. 75 foot tall lamps um, that that were a part of the of the temple mount and the tops of these lamps was somehow filled with oil and they would light these lamps and they would burn the entire week long and the light from these lamps could be seen all over the city so they were they were massive they're not only tall they were massive around big enough to um, just to light up the entire city, and because Jerusalem is up on a hill, you could see it all over the place. Um, and so it was being lit up with fire, and that was to remind them of one of the more spectacular things that happened uh, when they were in the desert. And you don't need to turn to it, but this is what it says in Exodus 13. This is what they're commemorating. Uh, this is 21 and 22. It says, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud, to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire, to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So, um, God uh, was leading them through this terrain that they did not know, and he would put this, either a cloud or fire in front of them, and basically they just followed it forward. And so if they're traveling at night, they're able to see everything because this pillar was apparently massive and it just lit everything up. So it gave them light. It gave them direction. And uh, everyone was terrified of this you know, pillar of fire you know, that these people were following. And so nobody messed with them. So it was protection. Uh, it gave them guidance. It gave them all these things. But maybe the most important thing about it was it reminded them that God was with them and that he knew what he was doing. And that he was leading them. Um, and so they come together once a year. And for a whole week, they make the tabernacles. They bring in the water. And they light the lamps. And they celebrate. They sing. They, they dance. They worship. They, they eat. They celebrate uh, this incredible thing that God did for their ancestors. And at the end of the week... Uh, they take down the tabernacles and they extinguish the lamps and they all go back to doing what they were doing until the next time around. The lamps were one of the more iconic things about uh, this. This And so uh, a pretty significant part of the imagery that's associated with this festival. And so uh, with this still fresh on their minds from chapter 7, that's kind of the backdrop for what Jesus says uh, in chapter 8, starting in verse 12. 
says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, they've just been singing and dancing and celebrating the pillar of fire that God provided in a fully lit up city at night. Um, And Jesus comes in and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is a massive statement. Like this would have, this would have, they would have connected those dots because the lamps were such a big deal and the story was such a big deal. So let's, let's look just a, a few words at a time and see if we can kind of maybe pull together what Jesus was saying. The first thing, uh, he, says, he says, I am the light of the world. That, that I am language, talked about this last week. This is the self-identifying language that God used in Exodus 3. When, when Moses is there and the, the, the burning bush is on fire and it's, it's speaking to him and he's having this exchange with God and he wants to know God's name and a part of that dialogue is God says, I am. I, just, I am. Tell him that I am sent you. And so Jesus, using the same exact language in this statement, is on purpose connecting himself to that instance. He's basically saying the same, the same God talking to Moses, that story you're so familiar with, I'm the, I'm the same one. Um, then he says, I am the light. And that word light, um, sometimes in the New Testament is used to mean light. And other times it's, it's used for fire. And so fire and light, kind of that, all that idea is kind of wrapped up together. And so he's saying fire. They just left a festival built around fire, celebrating an occurrence from their history about a pillar of fire that came from Moses, the grand patriarch, whose first interaction was with God and fire. So fire and light, and Jesus is saying, I am, I am that light. I'm the same light. In other words, I am the pillar of fire. I am the burning bush that spoke to Moses. Same, same, same. In your midst, right here. I am the light. Then he says, I'm the light of the world. In other words, the burning bush light, that was for Moses. The pillar of fire light, that was for Israel. The Jesus light is for who? It's for everybody. The, the light is growing. Burning bush, pillar of fire, the whole planet. <laughs> That's what he's saying. I am the light of the world for everyone. Now that that is enough, really. You know, it's so easy to kind of get to, especially in Western modern Christianity, where we are, where, where it's such a it's a cultural thing for us. Um, it's easy to kind of like forget sometimes the significance of uh, who who Jesus is. 
Like, that he is 100% God, you know. That the same God that has done all these things, the same God that Israel just revered, and the same God they rebelled against. But let's go with reverence. The God that they revered and understood that did all these phenomenal, amazing things, the same God is standing in their midst. The same God goes to the cross and takes on everything you and I have ever done. Same God. And so a part of Lent for us this year is, is taking time to, to cherish that and remember that. And, and yes, yes, we will talk about what Jesus has, what he has done and what he does. But the starting point for that is understanding and being reminded of who he is. Who it is that's doing those things changes those things. Am I right? When God himself is doing those things, those things become different. And so he's looking at them and he's like, look, we just celebrated something for a whole week and I need you to know something. Um, I'm in your midst. It's the same. That as we gather together and we sing about grace and we sing beautiful Savior, wonderful Counselor, all these things that are a part of our worship and our gathering, all, the, uh, all those things that are Christ inside of you is the hope of glory. All of, the, all of those things are connected what we see in the scriptures. That's not a, that happened then to a, 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 to a different group of people by, in a different set of circumstances, but also by a different God. The same God is connected to all of us. And so, when you pray, and I pray, we're dialoguing with the same God that spoke to Moses through the burning bush. There's no, there's no difference and that might seem elementary, but how, e- how easy it is to forget that, you know. How easy it is to forget that that's who we sing to. That's, that's who we invite into our struggles and our pain. and um, Like it's, it's the same. He's that big. And so, the first part of that I am statement is rooted in that Feast of Tabernacles idea. And saying, hey, don't separate what we just, like who you just worshipped from who's standing in your midst. I am the light of the world. Then, then he expands upon that a little bit. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, John uses light and darkness back and forth, uses that to teach some pretty deep concepts. But, but notice the end of the statement, Jesus, he, he connects some dots where he says that you have the light of life, that those things are inter, inter, interconnected. And John opens up his gospel by talking about this. And so if you want to flip a few pages back to John 1, I want to look at a verse over there for just a second, because that helps us understand what Jesus is getting at. In John chapter 1, um, he's he's has this remarkable, just a remarkable chapter that we usually read a lot during Advent. And in talking about Jesus, verse 4, John says this. He says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So there's this connection between light and life. That those two things are related. And I was, I was hung up on this 
and was kind of doing some reading and stuff like this and came across a, a lot of really smart people were kind of pointing this out that when you read through the New Testament, you know, you've probably heard before that you know, there's different words for love. And there's even a commercial out right now that talks about the different, you know, the different Greek words for love, but they all translate into English as love. Uh, the same way is, is for life. That there are three different words you find in parts of the New Testament for life. One of them um, is bios, which uh, refers to like the physical life. It's where we get biology from. And so bios, sometimes talking about like being physically alive. Um, the second one is suche. Uh, if you're a note taker, that's uh, P-S-U-C-H-E. Those aren't the Greek letters. Those are the English ones. Suche, and that is, like, that's the psychological life of, like, um, like the, the soul, the mind, our emotions, our will. That's where we get, you know, psychology from, that, that idea. So there's bios, physical life. Suche, which is like life of the mind. And then there's a third word that's uh, zoe, Z-O-E. Zoe, that is, um, it's, it's the life that's really, it's unique to God. It's the life that pre-existed creation. It's the fact that, it's the life that, that was, uh, God, is, he's uncreated. And the beginning was God. Bio is, was given to us. Suche was given to us, but Zoe, that, that begins with God. It's this eternal, uncreated, holy, perfect, divine life um, that never ha- it doesn't have a beginning or it doesn't have an end. It is eternal in that sense. And so if we're going to understand what is being said here, we need to know which of those words is Jesus talking about. Is he, is he connecting life and light... In a biological sense, or in a psychological sense, or in a zoe, divine, eternal, uncreated sense? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's a good question. Um, it's important to keep in mind that we are born with the first two. We're, we're born with bios. We're, we're born with physical life. We're born with suche. We're born with with uh, with the mind, the emotions, or will, like all that kind of stuff. But Zoe, that that belongs to God, and Zoe is only shared when God wants to share it. We're not entitled to that. We're not. We could still bear the image of God without that Zoe life. That's His. And it's his to share. In fact, you know, Jesus describes it as uh, walking in darkness. You know, he says, whoever follows me won't walk in darkness. That's another, that's another way of saying whoever follows me won't, won't walk around with only physical, physical life and psychological life. He says that's darkness. Paul says it this way in Ephesians. He says that it's uh, it's actually uh, death. <laughs> to walk in darkness is to be dead. We were dead in our trespasses, is what he says. 
And so Jesus is speaking to us, and in verse 1, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 4, when he says, when John says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. If you want to put the Greek word in there, in him was zoe, and the zoe was the light of men. Chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of Zoe. Jesus is bringing to us this completely new thing. He's bringing that eternal, uncreated God life to his image bearers. Who have become convinced it's enough just to be alive in the physical sense and to be alive in the psychological sense and yet are walking around in complete darkness spiritually dead Jesus comes and he says I have something to offer to you because I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light inside of you the God life inside of you The life you were always supposed to have. So, in this imagery, in chapter 1, verse 4, light uh, is really about life. And so, light versus darkness is really about life versus death. That's how John uses it. So, if we go back to chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus is telling us that really, that following him is the only way to come out of darkness. And to go from having, uh, from being dead to having that Zoe life, it's, he's the only way to do that. You, you have two choices. You walk around in darkness or you walk in light. You walk around dead or you walk around alive. And Jesus is saying that the key to that is, is whoever follows me. That is the key. But another interesting thing, or interesting to me at least, is that he's not only saying that, you know, he says, I am, I am the light. He's not only saying that, I, that I'm going to make you a lot, like Zoe alive. Because that could, that could mean that he will look at you and just kind of like grant it. <laughs> and then you have that life. But when he says, I am the light... And light and life are connected. He's, he's saying, not only will you have the Zoe, like, well, I'll make you alive, but I will be the Zoe in you. You know? Like, I will, I will manifest that in your life. It's not that I will make you alive. It's that, it's that I will be your life. I am the light. That's what Jesus like wants for us. That is what He is offering to them. It's not just to make them alive, but to be their life, because He is life. Ephesians chapter two, um, verse four and five. Paul says it this way: it "says But God, being rich in mercy." 
because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Alive together with Christ. The indwelling light of the world. The indwelling God that appeared as a pillar of fire and led Israel. That consumed a shrub and spoke to Moses and changed the world. That was worshipped at the Feast of Tabernacles. That stood in their midst. That walked the road to Calvary. That looked at you and said you're worth it. He's bringing and has brought and will continue to bring Zoe life because he's manifesting it inside of us. That's who he is. So the pillar of fire lives in you. The burning bush lives inside you. Christ in you, literally in you, is the hope of glory for you and for me. And even though, you know, the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, they extinguished the lamps and they went. So there was a lot of darkness the whole rest of the time. But this is not a a light that ever is extinguished. But even still, that, that fire, the fire of Zoe, the light of Zoe... We, we fan that into flame. We keep that, like, that, that fire is, is something that we keep going. And it's strange because it's not that it can go out because it is eternal. But it is something that we are supposed to feed, you know. We're supposed to, we're supposed to feed it with fuel. And so that's a part of what gathering for worship does. That's, that's what the discipline of being in the scriptures, that's what that does. That's what prayer does for us, all the different ways that we abide and we stay connected to him, all those things are throwing fuel on that fire, on that Zoe life, because it's alive. And I hope that by being together, like part of the energizing like synergy that happens is, is because that is, it's getting oxygen and fuel, uh, like put onto that fire. And that when you leave, you are, uh, like, it is, the, it is that Zoe life that is, like, like pumping through your veins, you know? Like, because that, like, what we're talking about right here, there's, there's no other thing that we're really about. Everything that we do as a church, everything that, that we do as individuals, as families, as community groups, however you want to subdivide us out, everything that we do is about this right here. In a world that's convinced that bios and suche are enough. Let's make everything about our physical lives being better and our mental, emotional, like all that kind of stuff, lives being better. And those things are really important. I'm not saying that they are not important. Those things are very important. But those things are still death without Zoe. And so that, that's what drives us. That's why we do an Easter egg hunt at the park. You know? That's, that's why we gather. That's why we are sent back out. That's why we are on mission. Because this is what's important. Parents, for your kids, this is what's important. Yes, take care of their physical life. 
yes, take care of their emotional health and their mental health and like education. All these kind of things are so super important. But the number one thing that you're investing in has got to be the Zoe life in them. That is of highest importance. It's what we see in Jesus' ministry. It's what we see with the New Testament church. It's what we see with, with, with like over the course of the Holy Spirit's work in history. That is of utmost importance. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world. We don't want anyone to walk in darkness, but there are people all around us who are. Therefore, we gather. We throw fuel on the fire. We, we fan it with oxygen. We let that fire like continue on and we scatter back out and we minister and we care and we love people. And in between our gathering, that's why we have, we have the scriptures and we have prayer and we have community. We have all these things so that the fire is just constantly roaring so that as we interact with people, we don't settle for just physical and psychological uh, life. We are always driving toward like the deep end, the most important thing, the only eternal thing is that Zoe life that Jesus not only offers, but he, he comes in and actually manifests himself. So I am the light of the world. Um, a lot of depth to it. And it has a, it has a direct tie with you today and with me today. And also, it has a tie with those that, that we are around all the time. And so we, we need to respond to this a little bit. Um, and for, for some, this response is, is like, like, you're just like, I, just, I need to sing, I need to pray, like I, need to, I need to thank the Lord for not leaving me dead in my trespasses and sins. But out of His great love for me, that He acted... And he brought Zoe to me. Some of you, this might, you might have that gratitude, but maybe your mind is going toward people you know who don't. And so perhaps your response needs to be praying for them, interceding for them, even, even singing on their behalf a song that they cannot yet sing with the hopes that they will sing it. We're going to respond in a few different ways. Taking communion is one of those. Because the light of the world, he shed his blood that you would not walk in darkness. His body was broken that you would not walk in darkness. And so we'll have two communion stations and you're welcome. If, if you believe that Jesus did that for you, then you come on. You don't have to be a member here. You take the bread, you dip it in the juice, and you, you take communion. And that'll be happening um, throughout our response time. We're going to sing. If you want to pray, we'll have some folks that will pray with you on the front row. You can come pray here at the steps. You can pray where you are. Um, we have a variety of options because everyone's kind of different. And so whatever this is evoking in you, we want to give you a few minutes to respond while, while we are singing together. So let's stand, and I'm going to pray for us. We'll spend a few minutes in response to what God is stirring in our minds and our hearts.